Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. By sharing a dream that I had a while ago. I don't have these dreams all the time, but sometimes God really shares dreams with me. And, and, uh, and, and there's something that I've experienced in my life. I've been privileged to have been able to experience this many times. And I always pray that God would give me additional opportunities to have these experiences. And the experience is, is that moment when you're beginning, when you're sharing your faith with somebody, when you're telling somebody about Jesus, and you notice that there's like a glimmer there. There's like something that, that begins to shift. It's like watching the moment that a soul starts to open up. That somebody goes from, it's like you can see the exchange where God takes their heart of stone, as he says in Ezekiel, a heart that is hardened, that cannot hear, that cannot feel, that cannot beat, that cannot live, and how God reaches. It's almost like you're witnessing God as the great surgeon. Reach into a person's chest, grab a hold of the heart of stone and exchange it for a heart of flesh. It's seeing somebody come to life. In that moment, it's like every word you speak, every, every gospel-filled, Holy Spirit-anointed word that you share with that person is so full of the Holy Spirit that every syllable contains eternity. You can have the ocean in a glass of water on the table in front of you, the cosmos in a sugar bowl. There's eternity in a moment. It's a, it's, an, it's a finite moment, but it contains infinity because a person's eternal journey is shifting before your very eyes. How, how privileged to be able to witness that, to see a mind peer over its high walls and begin to explore the truth of who Jesus is, begin to feel its own worth. When people begin to realize that they are worth something in the eyes of Jesus, that God created them for more. And in my life, going back to my high school days, as I shared my faith passionately with people, I've, I've seen this happen. And so I had this dream where I was sitting with, with two guys and we were sitting in a, in a restaurant and it was packed out. It was obviously post or pre-COVID times in the dream, or, or maybe COVID didn't exist in the dream. And I was sitting there with him. And, and even though there was so much busyness around us, even though there were waiters and waitresses dancing in and out from the kitchen and, and, and weaving their way through the people, and it was kind of open to the street and there were cars passing by and people walking to and fro, these two guys were locked on to what I was saying. And I could see that the soul was opening up. And I said this to them. I wrote this down and uh, after I woke up from the dream. But in the dream, I said this to them. I sometimes, I think, preach better in my dreams than I do in reality. But I said this to them. I said, believers of old used to say that the Bible is not just a book that you read. It's a book that grows inside of you. I realized when I woke up that when we share the gospel, when we tell people about Jesus, we don't always see the instant effect. It's glorious when you're there to see it, but we don't always get to see it. But what we can do is sow seeds. What we can do is take the truth of the gospel 
that this book proclaims and we can sow it into people's souls. And the Bible says that even if it begins as small as a mustard seed, it grows to the point where the tree overtakes the entire garden and it even makes a home for the birds of the air. It even becomes something that provides shelter to others in times to come. How incredible that we get to be a part of that journey, of that moment, of that sowing. I remember when I was 17 years old and I went on a rugby tour to Italy, played rugby across Italy uh, with about 23 of my mates from school. Uh, we played many club sides. We started in Rome and we were, played all the way up uh, across about a month uh, of rugby games. We went all the way up to uh, Milan. And now it was the last night of our rugby tour in Milan. And a couple of us guys were just uh, walking around. We didn't want kind of the tour to end. And we were talking about our experiences and, and walking around where our hotel was, kind of exploring that area. And every time we came around to the hotel, again, some guys dropped off and said, all right, guys, I'm going to bed. And, and they left. And as we kept going around, kept going around, eventually the group got smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually it was just me and a friend who has now become one of my lifelong friends. We've been friends for 20 years, but our friendship started there. And we were talking and we were talking about life and we were talking about God. And eventually we started talking about faith. And as we were talking about faith, I started to share with him who Jesus is and what Jesus had done in my life. And these, these moments, I started to experience what I mentioned now, that he, his soul was opening up. And I was only 17, so I was a little bit worried about asking him if I could pray for him to receive Jesus. In that moment, I was still a little bit shaky. And I, and I remember asking God this question. I, you know, when you're, when you're immature in the faith, sometimes you need a sign, right? Have any of you, God, give me a sign. Most of the time, God should be and is like, hey, guys, you don't need a sign. Seriously, I told you what, to, I'm not going to give you another one. You don't need another one. But in this moment, God was gracious. And I said to God, as I was walking, there was a car parked at a petrol station that we were passing by. And I said to God, God, there's a car parked there. If that car's lights flash, then I know I must pray for him. So I get close to the car and I realize there's no one in the car. I'm like, this is going to have to be a real miracle now. Those lights have to flash by themselves. And I can feel that he is ready to receive Jesus in that moment. And so I look over at the car and I keep talking to him and I keep looking over to the car and we're about to pass by the car and a guy comes running out of the cafe there, the little shop, the little petrol station shop. And he runs, jumps in the car and as he starts the car, the lights flash. I was like, okay, Lord, I gotta pray for this guy. So I said to him, hey man, would you like me to pray for you so you can receive Jesus? And as easy as anything, he's just like, yeah, that'll be great. So we found a park bench in the middle of Milan. This is now midnight in Milan. We sit down on a park bench and I lead him in a prayer to receive Jesus. He prays the prayer. And you know, my, my human heart so badly wants him to understand. I'm, you know, we get home, it's like one in the morning. I'm like, did you wanna borrow my Bible? Do you wanna just read a little bit? He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, please, Jesus, let him be fine. Please, Jesus, let this, you know, let this be something true. That friend ended up journeying with me for many years. He ended up coming to my church. He ended up joining my community group. And at the end of matric, he joined a missions organization. And for the last 15 years, he has been training missionaries that have literally gone out as far as Thailand and Cambodia to the Jordan, to the Amazon, to every part of Africa. Right now, as I speak, 
He is leading an advanced missionary training in Jordan in the Middle East. He does missionary training in Mozambique, in Zambia, in the Jordan, and recruits people from the U.S., sending them into the mission field. Just because a 17-year-old boy was willing to invite someone to receive Jesus. I can't, you know, they say you can, you can count the number of apples on an apple tree or the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apple trees in each seed. How many more seeds? How many more seeds? How many more seeds? And in the same way, we can, you know, we can, we can share a seed with somebody, but we have no idea how many seeds will be produced out of the seed that you plant. Come on, church, why are we not doing this? We've lost this. We've lost this in our day and age of personal preference and comfort and pursuit. For many people, church is just about what I can get out of it, how it speaks to me, how it comforts me, how it helps me. And that's why I feel like God is speaking to us and wants to say something through this series create a culture in this place where we are on mission, where we are constantly inviting people to come to church, to join us. We have the space here, but also to share our faith, to share our stories, and to be willing to step out and to make a difference in the city. Romans 10, 14 to 15 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will people call on God if they don't believe in him? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? When it speaks about a preacher there, it's not speaking about me on a Sunday holding a microphone. It's speaking about every single one of us. As we preach the gospel through our lives, through our personal stories, through the moments that God gives, gives us, the appointments, the God appointments that God gives us to share our faith. How shall they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is the opportunity that we have, but I fear that in our church and in the church globally, we may have lost our passion to see people saved. Now we say that, and we believe this, our number one value is that it's all about Jesus because we believe that without Jesus, there is no hope. It's His grace, it's His goodness, and it's His sufficiency. We're not bringing people into this room so that we can tell them to try a little bit harder to be better. This is not behavioral modification. This is not just a pat on the back and some self-help. No, this is the gospel of God's grace to say that we are broken sinners that can come before God and, ex and receive His supernatural power and ability on the inside of us through His grace to be able to live changed lives. That's the message that we preach. This is not conforming, getting people to conform to a model. This is about people encountering Jesus. So our number one value is that it's all about Jesus. But beyond that, our number two value is that we love people. Can we say that we genuinely love people if we do not care about their eternal salvation? I mean, if you walked in the mall and somebody, you, you saw somebody's wallet drop out of their back pocket, surely all of us, hopefully, 
would run and pick up the wallet and run after them and say, sorry, sorry, you lost something, right? And you don't even check how much cash is in there before you do that. We would do that for somebody who loses their wallet. Why would we not do that for somebody who has lost their soul? Who has not yet come to life? And who stands to lose it for eternity? You see, this, this life is, is, is a blip on the radar. It is the briefest of moments that you could possibly imagine compared to eternity. But for the sake of comfort and preference and not to offend or not to, not to be awkward, we would rather risk somebody's eternal future than just take a moment of discomfort. This is something that we are, have to be challenged by, church. This is something that God is challenging us. If we love people, then we need to be willing to speak to them. Jesus died so that people could be saved. He died so that we could extend that invite and invitation to every person. We are the ones whom Jesus said, he said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And now he has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Our ministry, which means to help people. The way that we help people is we reconcile them to God. We are part, that is the ministry that we have. So in these next few weeks, we'll be talking about how each of us have the ability, the call of God, the opportunity to be soul winners and to have that privilege of seeing people come to faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. You are a soul winner this morning. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and tell them that? Say, I am a soul winner. And then look at them again and say, you are a soul winner. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said to them, follow me. How many of you in this place follow Jesus? All right, what, what did Jesus say will happen when you follow him? I will make you fishers of men. He's speaking to fishermen. And he's saying, if you follow me, I am going to use you to fish for people. No longer the physical, the temporal, but eternal. People's souls, people's eternal destiny. This should be a natural part of following Jesus. But let's all be honest, we've left it up to the pastors and the preachers to do that work. Well, I don't have a mic, I don't have a stage, that's not my job. The scripture clearly tells us that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a fisher of men. And by men, it means mankind. So Jesus didn't only teach this, he didn't only tell them this, but he, he showed them this, right? This kind of culture is something that's often caught more than it's taught. It's something that, that when the, the culture develops, people begin to pick it up and begin to run with it. And this is the culture we're praying that God would establish in our church, that we would care so much about people that we would share the gospel with them. And so Jesus shows them the heart of God in this important moment in John chapter four. So if you have your Bibles here today, I'm gonna to stick in John chapter four, just those beginning few verses. When I, I wanna talk about how Jesus meets with the woman at the well in Samaria. For some context there, and you've probably heard this before, but the woman that Jesus meets in Samaria, the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. 
They were a part of that Jewish nation, but they believed that they were the keepers of the law. And they believed that they worshipped on their mountain as opposed to in Jerusalem. And so there was absolute tension between Jews and Samaritans. So much so that when Jesus and his disciples were walking through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem, and they wanted a place to stay, when the people found out that they were heading to Jerusalem, they refused them any lodging in that, in that space, in that place. So there was kind of a cultural brokenness and war between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so in general, Jews, especially the rabbis or the teachers of the law or somebody of religious standing like Jesus, they would not be caught dead speaking to a Samaritan. Never mind a Samaritan woman. And this woman who Jesus was speaking to actually came out to the well in the middle of the day, which was uncommon. The reason we find out later why this woman was, was coming out to draw water in the heat of the Middle East. Have you ever been to the Middle East? I remember getting off the plane in the UAE and feeling like, you know what, guys, that, that was a great trip. I'm heading back into this plane to the aircon. 6 a.m. in the morning, we landed in, 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 in Abu Dhabi. And as I got out of that airplane, the heat just engulfs you. Let me tell you, you're not drawing water in the middle of the day. The water will be evaporated by the time you get home. Why did this woman go in the middle of the day? She was an outcast. She was rejected. Jesus reveals prophetically later on that she had had five husbands. And the man that she was with currently was not her husband. She had had broken relationships. And so obviously she was rejected. She was outcast. And she decided that she'd rather then, you know, take all the, 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 the gossip and all the, you know, the, the, the dirty looks from the other woman in the morning. She'll just go in the middle of the day and draw water by herself. And here she finds a man called Jesus. And unlike what, Jesus, what she would have expected, Jesus speaks to her. He actually engages with her. And he says to her that if you knew who it was who was speaking to you right now, you would ask of me and I would give you living water to drink and you will never thirst again. What does Jesus perceive in the brokenness of this woman's story and in her soul? He doesn't judge her for her broken relationships and for all her failed marriages and for living with a guy. He doesn't judge her in that moment. He speaks to the heart of why all those things have happened, why the brokenness exists. What does he say? You're thirsty. You're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for something to bring that wholeness to your life that you just cannot find and you think that you'll find it in a husband. Maybe I'm preaching to some of the young adults here this morning. I'm not sure. Can't see so nicely. But maybe some of you are like, if I just find the right husband, I'll be fulfilled. If I just find that wife, I'll be fulfilled. If I just get to that level, that promotion in my job, then I'll be fulfilled. If my company can just get off the ground, I'll be fulfilled. If I can just do these things, I'll be fulfilled. Jesus says that speaks of a hunger that cannot be fulfilled except by living water except by the bread of life. This woman had obviously looked for fulfillment in a relationship and it had ended. And so she looked for it in another one and that also ended and she'd look. And that is a great way to end a relationship. That's how you'll do it. By asking somebody to fulfill, fulfill the needs in you that only God can fulfill. 
It's setting your marriage or your relationships or whatever you're pursuing up for failure because it will never be able to do that. There's a God-sized hole in every human being that only His grace can fulfill. And so I can promise you now, you might walk out here and share your faith with somebody and they say, I'm fulfilled, I don't need Jesus. Let me tell you, they know that that is not true. And so when we speak to people about where they're at, we can have confidence that if they do not have God in their lives, that they certainly have something lacking. And we bring the good news that it doesn't need to be lacking any longer, that Jesus is enough, that He has come, that He has died, that it's grace, that it's free. And so Jesus says, you're thirsty, but if you ask me, I will give you water, living water, eternal water, and you'll never thirst again. And she still is thinking in an earthly sense. She's like, oh, that that would be amazing. I wouldn't have to come to the well every day. And so Jesus begins to speak prophetically. He says, you've had, he says, go and call your husband. You see, oftentimes the gifts of the Spirit that we're going to talk about as we go back into 1 Corinthians in a month or so's time, uh, when, we, when we get to those gifts of the Spirit, they're evangelism gifts. We, you begin to speak a word of knowledge into somebody's life. They realize God's speaking to me right now. And Jesus, by word of knowledge, says, go call your husband. I don't have a husband, she says. He says, you're right, you've had five. And all of a sudden she realizes, she perceives. Her eyes open up. She goes, you're a prophet. And she quickly asks him, how do, how do we worship? How should we worship? How should I connect with God? And what about the Messiah? Jesus says, the one who is speaking to you now is he. I am the Messiah. John 4, 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Some people say Jesus never called himself the son of God or the Messiah. Just read this verse to them, please. So frustrating. Can you just go John 4, 25? Read it. Thanks very much. John 4, 27. At that moment, the disciples came back and they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman here in Samaria, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, she's instantly transformed into an evangelist. Why? Because she encountered Jesus. Instantly transformed. She says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. The disciples are amazed that Jesus is speaking to this woman. They're still stuck evaluating people's worth according to their cultural or societal standards or standing. They still see people just as that person is not really somebody I communicate with. This person is more like my crowd. That's what Jesus doesn't see people that way. He sees the soul and the worth and the value of every single human being. May God give us those eyes. May God give us that kind of perception to see the value of a human being. Jesus sees this woman as precious. No, no, no matter what she had done, he sees her as precious in the eyes of God. Meanwhile, what does she do? She runs into the town and becomes a greater evangelist in a moment than all of the disciples put together up to this point. 
she becomes the great evangelist. Everyone in Samaria starts coming down to Jesus. We pick it up here in John 4, verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Some of the, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat here? Jesus said to them, my food, what I live off of, my sustenance, what gives me energy, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus is saying, my physical needs, oh, we need to hear this church. My physical needs, my physical pursuits, the things I'm striving for in this life are not my primary concern. Can we say that? Honestly about our own lives. I don't know if I can, church. The food that, that, that we're gonna have for lunch this afternoon, that is not my primary concern. My primary concern is to do the will of God and accomplish the work He sent me to fulfill. What was that work? The Son of Man has come not to condemn people, but to save people's lives. That's the work. Jesus says, that's my bread and butter. That's what I live off of. That's my sustenance. That's what gives me energy. That's my life. That's what I'm here to do. Not to see how comfortable I can be, but to fulfill the call of God on my life. Jesus then directs his attention towards the disciples and, and he speaks into a bit of a spiritual blind spot that they have in this moment. He, remember, he's trying to teach them to be fishers of men. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The wheat turns that white color when it's ready for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. God's will, the reason why he sent Jesus was to see people saved, to accomplish the work of salvation. And now Jesus says to his disciples, are you unable to perceive the time in which you are living? Are you unable to see the ripeness of the fields, right? That would be like somebody who isn't a farmer driving past. You know, if you drive through the free state or if you drive through farmlands here in our country, Many times, you know, you would look at, let's say if you're going past some corn and you'd look at it and you'd go, oh, it's so nice and green. That's not the exciting moment for the farmer. The farmer drives past and says, it's not ripe yet. It's when it turns that golden brown and when that, when that husk begins to develop in the wheat. It's when those, when those things are ready that the farmer starts getting excited because he says it's harvest time. But so many of us, we've been living in the city so long, we don't even know what a harvest looks like anymore. And that is true spiritually. Jesus is speaking to people in an agrarian society. They are farmers and they know when the harvest is ready. So you can look at the fields, you can say four more months and it'll be ready. But you cannot perceive that the fields are already ripe for the harvest of souls. The reaper has already gone in. 
and those that go are already receiving the reward of their labor. They're already there and they're rejoicing together with the one who sowed. So Jesus says to them, look, lift up your eyes. See the harvest. In that moment, as the people are coming down the hill towards the well, coming to Jesus, Jesus says to the disciples, he's just told them about the harvest. People are streaming over the ridge. The whole town is coming out. Jesus says, stop looking at food. Stop looking at what you're going through right now. Perceive the harvest. You didn't even do the work for that harvest. You didn't even labor for that harvest. In fact, there's another woman that was here a few minutes ago. She's the one who labored. But you get to reap. You get to bring that harvest in and receive a reward. Perceive the season. Recognize the harvest. The fields are white for harvest. Here's the reward of evangelism. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is ultimately saying that when we step, step out and we become soul winners, when we invite somebody to church and their, and their lives turn around, when we share our personal story and we see a soul open up to the truth of the gospel, when we share hope and grace with people of our city, we receive an eternal reward, fruit that abounds to eternity, something that cannot be, be destroyed by an economic recession or a downturn in the market or whatever else might destroy on this earth. Thief cannot break in and steal. Moth cannot destroy the riches that we can store up for ourselves in heaven. How do we store up those riches? By participating in the call of God to win souls. An eternal reward. Jesus says, already, you guys are late to the party. This woman's already got a reward. She's already gone out and shared her faith. The reaper is already there and they rejoice together, those who reap and those who sow. Jesus says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into it. You, you know, that God has already done so much of the work. Oftentimes, all it requires is somebody to extend an invitation and, and you already in that moment get to reap what others may have sowed for years already. And it doesn't matter who's the one who sows and who's the one who reaps. What matters is that a soul comes to Christ. Amen, church? Here's the result. John 4, 39 to 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. What did she say to them? He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and, they, and he stayed there two days. Now, previously, they had rejected Jesus. Jesus wasn't allowed to stay in the town. Now he receives an invitation. Now doors begin to open up. You see, when souls begin to turn to Jesus, it just opens more doors and more doors and more doors. You might think to yourself, hey, I, I'm not allowed to share my faith at my workplace. Church, we're not following those rules. We don't follow those rules. It's too important. We're not gonna be told by a corporate what we can and cannot do with our faith. I'm not saying stand with a big post in, in the entrance hall of your job because you might not have a job the next day. HR, would that be, would that be correct, HR? 
It's amazing, though, how corporates have taken up a liberal agenda and will promote through newsletters and through, and through corporate training every kind of vice and what the Bible calls sin, yet will not allow somebody to share their faith with Jesus. It is a tactic of the enemy, not of the corporate. It's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a construct of Satan, not of the corporate world. Come on, if you're not willing to lose a job for Jesus, then we're in the wrong space. Jesus says, there's not a person who has laid down anything, whether that be leaving behind family or leaving behind wealth or, or, or laying down anything in this life that will not be rewarded. That will not receive many fold as a reward. I didn't necessarily mean for this to be like the most challenging message I've ever preached, but it's kind of coming out that way. These things are not even in my notes. The Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them. What I was gonna say there was, you share your faith at work. The next thing, the head of your, your CEO gets saved. The next thing, you're allowed to share your faith. The next thing, the whole... Corporate landscape changes. When we are faithful, how many have led kings and emperors to faith? The conversion of Constantine, for example, opened up Christianity to the entire Roman Empire at that time. Just be faithful and trust God with the rest. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, I love this part, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that it is indeed, that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Isn't that beautiful? The people came out, oh, this woman says this is guy and he's prophesying and he's telling her all she's ever done. Could this be the Christ? And they go out there and they listen to him speak. They encounter Jesus for themselves. You see, we don't have secondhand faith. Nobody gets into, the, in, into heaven or into eternity or into a relationship with God via secondhand faith. It's always a personal faith. But what we can do is introduce them, come see a man. Introduce them to the Jesus that we know and that we believe in. And as they encounter Jesus themselves, they'll turn around and say, it's no longer because of your testimony that I believe. It's because I have heard Jesus for myself. And I believe. Surely this is the Savior of the world. How beautiful. Our testimonies have the ability, like this woman, to open up hearts to open up lives, to get people listening so they may encounter Jesus and experience him for themselves. Can, you, can we just make it abundantly clear here this morning that this woman had no time to go do a degree in theology, that she had zero time to plant a church, buy a stage, get a microphone, rig a sound system, and then get people saved. The idea that you need all of this in order to Bring people to Jesus is a false idea. All you need to do is tell people what Jesus has done for you. Your story, your life, your experience is your pulpit. And your story will boom far louder in the hearts of people's, in people's hearts 
than I can with a microphone. A personal experience of Jesus. All she did is say, come and see a man. This is what he has done for me. And she led an entire town to Jesus where they encountered him for themselves. Matthew 9, 36 to 38 says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, the people, he was moved with compassion for them. There's the heart of God. That intense, it's almost like empathy so strong that it hurts in your gut. That's what the original language brings out. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, this is Jesus' harvest. But he allows us to participate and to receive a reward, a, the wages of the reaping. That's grace. We, you know, it could just be all God doing it from start to finish, but he allows us to participate in the reaching out, in the sharing, in, the, in seeing the soul change in a, in a moment. And in that, he then also rewards us. How, how incredible. Grace upon grace. It's his harvest. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, are few. Let's look honestly at the harvest with hearts stirred afresh with a love for lost people. Let's respond as Isaiah did when he encountered God's heart for the lost. The Bible tells us that the Trinity is in heaven. And as the lost stand in heaven, or as, as the Trinity is in heaven, and, and Isaiah stands there, and he proclaims that he is from a people of unclean lips, a people that have blasphemed, a people that have, that have sinned. He says, these, these are my people. How can I be sent? He hears the Trinity say these words, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Isaiah in that moment trembles. He says, woe is me. I am undone for I am an unclean man and I live amongst a, an unclean people. And an angel moves over to the altar, which represents the sacrifice of Jesus. And that angel picks up a burning coal, the refining fire of God in the gospel. And he touches it to Isaiah's lips, to his mouth. Declares him forgiven, righteous, made clean. That's what we've all received the moment we came to Jesus. Not a single person in this place is too unclean to share your faith. Because we often don't do it because we go, I'm not living perfectly, so I don't think I have the right. No, Jesus died so that by your faith in him, you have already become the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. You are perfectly righteous in Christ. Then Isaiah hears the call again. The call goes out. Whom shall we send? And who will go for us? And now Isaiah, standing and, and, and trusting in the righteousness that God has given him, says, here I am. 
send me. Is that something we can say with honesty before God this morning? God, you've made me righteous. Forgive me for being complacent. Forgive me for ignoring the value of the souls around me. Forgive me for putting the great commission aside. The great commission became the great omission of the church. We've just omitted preaching the gospel to all creation, baptizing those who believe, teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. No, instead we just, I'll just go to church and feel good about myself and go home. Thanks, everybody. Can we come to the place of Isaiah this morning at the throne room of God and say, here I am, God, send me. Send me. If God could use me as a 17-year-old boy, too afraid to ask my friend if I could pray with him. And through a simple action, see missionaries sent across the world. How much could we do? How much could God do through us if we were simply willing to be sent? You might be wondering, where do I start? Where do I start? Here's a few things that you can do. Number one, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray for people. Create a prayer list if you don't already have one. And think about people that you know that don't know Jesus. And before you even say a word to them, pray for them. Then think about your worst enemy. The person that you hate the most in this world that has caused you the most harm. Put them on the list and pray for them. It's hard to hate somebody while you're praying for them. Start praying for your enemies, praying for your friends, praying for your family, asking Jesus to reveal himself to them. Our prayers must always include, but send me, Lord. We don't just pray for them. And then God gives us the opportunity to share with that person. We're like, no, no, but I'm praying for you. Don't worry, you know. No, we take up the opportunity Number two, we share our story. So pray, share your story. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? How did God bring you to faith? What has God done in your life? Share that. There's nothing more powerful than your personal encounter and experience with Jesus. Number three, and this is the easiest one, invite. Just invite hey, do you go to church? Come to church. Just come. We had a family, they're not here this morning, but they were sharing in this week another praise report about how they just did that one little step of inviting. Invited three people. This was about a month ago. I can't remember the exact date. All three of them responded, put their hands up, received Jesus, have signed up for everything at Anchor Church. Three lives eternally changed because one person extended an invite. Come, see a man, see Jesus. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, they will say. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Albert Muller said, at the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to evangelism is Christians who don't share the gospel. 
we just got to share. So I want to encourage you. Let's partner with the Holy Spirit. Let's go into that harvest field. Let's be ready to reap. Let's be ready to bring in those souls. Let's do what we can to build the city of God. To populate heaven. As, as, as Reinhard Bonker, the great evangelist, always said, I'm here to plunder hell and populate heaven. Let's set up a camp outside the gates of hell and turn people towards Jesus. God partners with us in that powerful, powerful way. This has shaken history for as long as history could have been shaken. A people who have a message they believe in and a God that is infallible. This is what we have, church. So how about we take that opportunity? I'm gonna invite you just to, to stand with me this morning. The Bible says that we are, we stand in the, in the throne room of God. We're never outside of God's presence. We're never, we don't come to church to get into God's presence. We live in His presence. We, we are believers. And this morning, corporately, the Bible says where two or more are gathered in His name, He is there also with them. So whether you realize it or not, whether you've got your mind on what you're having for lunch or what's happening this afternoon or what's coming up this week, whether you realize it or not, Jesus is present in this building right now. We stand before Him as Isaiah did. And we hear the same call that has rung out through the ages. Whom shall we send and who will go for us? Can we put up our hands this morning and say, here I am, God. Send me. I, I want that to just to be not something mechanical, but let's just close our eyes for a minute. In your own words, in your own time, Think about your own life. Respond to this personally. Is this your prayer? Do you desire for God to use you? Do you want to live for something greater? Then right now, if that's you, let's just simply say, here I am, God. Send me. Send us, Lord. We pray today that you will send us. We pray today that you will use us. We pray today that Anchor Church Joburg, not the building, not the service, but the community, the people, will become a great force in the city of Johannesburg and in the nation of South Africa as a people get on mission to simply partner with the Holy Spirit and share the gospel. Help us, Lord. Make us courageous, Lord. Help us get over our fears. Help us get over our awkwardness. Help us get over our concerns. Help us move beyond our personal comfort. Help us step into everything that you have for us, God, so that we may have the incredible privilege of seeing those souls come to know you. We thank you, God that you'll go with us, that you partner with us, and that we will see many lives.